Good morning. We're going to look at uh, the end of Romans 8 this morning. Um, the entire chapter of Romans 8, as we've been looking at Romans, the entire chapter of Romans 8 seems to be, among other things, to uh, encourage those who have believed in Jesus, encourage Christians to have all the confidence in the world, to be able to walk about the world and engage with life um, with, with as much confidence as possible. The beginning of chapter 8 talks about how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The middle of chapter 8 reminds us that the spirit of sonship has been given to us to remind us that we are God's children and that we are loved deeply by him. Um, last week we looked at the fact that even in the midst of all of the stuff that we don't love about life, all of our suffering and the difficulties, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And, uh, and then he just kind of ramps it up in the, the last several verses here, in verses 31 to 39, um, with a crescendo of, uh, of statements and questions um, that encourage us to believe that God is good and that, uh, and that in him, because of him, Nothing should shake us or rattle us. And, uh, and that's a good thing because we live in a world that, uh, uh, where, where there's all sorts of things that can rattle our confidence, right? So listen to God's word as I read from Romans 8, 31 to 39. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. But if you do have a Bible, I encourage you to read along in your Bible or, or on your phone. Um, listen to God's word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, these verses are, um, are a feast for our hearts, we pray that you would help us, that you would nourish us with your truth, with your promises, with the statements of the greatness and the immensity of your love for us. And Father, we pray that, uh, that as we look at your word this morning, um, that not a single person in here would walk away the same, that you would change us by your spirit, that you would deepen us and grow us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
One of, my, uh, one of my favorite shows that I've watched over the past few years is a, is a show called 1883. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that show, but before you rush out and watch it, um, let me give you a warning. If you're, if you're not comfortable watching kind of the harsh brutality of what life was like in 1883 as people traveled out west, um, I mean, it's harsh, it's brutal, it's uh, pretty graphic. I would encourage you not to watch it. But I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. And... Uh, and one of the things, it's about a group of people who travel, who attempt to travel from Texas to Oregon in hopes of finding a new life there, in hopes of finding a place, a, a paradise, if you will, where they will be able to, to live and, and enjoy life where it's incredibly beautiful and there's all sorts of resources and everything. And, and, uh, but the problem is that the, the journey to get from, from Texas to Oregon is fraught with endless dangers and, uh, and, and things that threaten your life. And, and so many people who made that journey, I mean, it seems like it was an impossible journey with all of the dangers. I mean, there was, there was disease that people had to, had to deal with. Um, there, were, there were enemies, there were bandits who might attack you or Native Americans who would certainly attack you as, they, as you went through their land. And, and, uh, and, and there was um, rattlesnake bites that people would die from. Uh, just crossing a river was an incredibly difficult task, and people would drown and lose all sorts of things. And, and, and it seemed like every morning that you woke up, as you, if you were traveling with this group of people, every morning that you, you woke up, you would be faced with all sorts, of, all sorts of questions of whether you would actually make it or not to the end of that day, let alone to the end of your journey. All sorts of questions. In the, in the verses right before this passage... Paul has explained that God has chosen the Christians in Rome and the Christians here in this room and that he's called us all for a purpose and that he's justified us and that he will glorify us and that he's going to get us where we need to go. He's going to make us all more like Jesus, in the end, like Jesus, glorified um, throughout this chapter, we've seen how, how he's going to make all things new, how, how he's going to, to, to give us freedom in the end, and, and he's going to, to, to reveal glory in us and to us. And there's all this promise of where God is going to take us. And yet, um, we have to have, make this journey, this life itself, every day as we wake up and then go to bed and face all the things that we face, that is the journey that we must travel along. And for every single one of us, I know that there are many questions in our minds, weighing on our hearts, weighing on us, you know, will we actually make it? Or they cloud our vision and, and make it hard for us to see this end result that God has promised us that he has planned for us. In Romans 8, uh, Paul raises several questions. He raises several questions here over and over again. And, and he gives us answers to these questions. But I think as we face life, we tend to think of these questions often without thinking about the answers. And, uh, and I want to start off, first of all, addressing you know, the questions that might overwhelm us if we're not aware of the answers, and then we'll talk about the answers briefly. And then I want to talk about proof that God gives us that his answers are the true ones that we can count on. So, so first of all, I want, to, I want to talk about you know, these questions that might overwhelm us that Paul makes reference to. Um, 
The first one, the first question that might tend to overwhelm us all is, is the question, who or what is against you? As you wake up this morning, uh, or as you woke up this morning, as you wake up every morning this week, um, and you think about the things that might be against you that day, it, it probably isn't hard to come up with a list of things. There, it's, it's easy to think of all the sorts of things as you wake up and as you face your day that are potentially against you, that, that, that are going to hold you back from doing all that you want to do, all that you were made to do. It's, it's an endless list of things that we might think are against us, right? I mean, we, there, there are, many of us, are, are, our bodies are, are kind of breaking down, you know? Some of us have injuries. Some of us wake up and something hurts and it didn't hurt yesterday. Or some of us have received news of a diagnosis, maybe cancer or, cancer or something else that, that is actually life-changing and that you're like, this, our health. We might look at our health and that's against us. Um, we might look at other just circumstances of our lives, you know, our, our work, our job, is incredibly frustrating and it's difficult and there are things that are beyond our ability to maybe even feel like we can do and that seems like it's against us. There are certain relationships in our lives where there's serious conflict. Maybe it's in our own families and we feel like there are people who have made it their mission in life to be against us and experiencing all that we'd like to experience. Um, there's all sorts of circumstances that we face, just small and big. Maybe for some of us, it's our schedule that feels like it's against us. There's just too much to be done. It's beyond our ability to do. Um, and then there's the, not, not just the circumstances of our lives are against us, but then as we just kind of like widen our gaze to the entire world and we look at the news for a few minutes, it, it, it feels like there's all sorts of stuff in the news that's against us as well. Right, the news of of natural disasters happening all over the place, of uh, of people who are struggling, of violence from one person against another, of hatred from one group against another, and that feels like it's against us from experiencing all that God wants, all that we long for. Um, Maybe it's just kind of the politics of our country feels like it's against you. You know, those who are in power feel like they are against you. Um, or maybe as you look around and you look at the people in our country and you look at the apathy of people, and you're like, why can't people step up and love one another better? And that feels like it's against you. Um, and then if it wasn't enough that we have our circumstances and the world against us, we also have our own sin that is working against us. The own, the, your own habits that tend towards self-centeredness or maybe towards a lack of self-control that uh, maybe damage other people or make it difficult for you to live, um, that is against you. The ugly parts of your temperament that impact the people around you, that is against you. Your failures as a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a friend that is working against you. And then if that wasn't enough, there's the supernatural world. You know, there's a devil and uh, supernatural evil. And you probably maybe don't even think about that as something that is working against you. And you're probably like, Jeff, why do you even have to remind me of that? But that is a reality. And, and, and the devil is real. And he is working against you and trying to use all of these things to work against you 
to experience and live out all that you were made for. That list is a lot longer than the list that people faced as they were waking up on the Oregon Trail. As dangerous that journey looked, that, that journey looked. And so for us, it's understandable for us to sometimes be overwhelmed. Am I going to make it? How can I deal with all of this stuff? You know, we, we have this question that, that can really weigh heavily upon us. Who or what is against us as we think about all these things? And then the second question is, who is accusing you? Not just who is against you, but who is accusing you? Again, they, I think there are a list of voices in our lives that are constantly telling us, you are not worthy you are not enough. You do not deserve to be loved. You do not deserve happiness. There's a long list of voices that are trying to tell us this. Um, it's so sad. I, one of our kids is, I, I think this is true of all kids, but, but one of our kids especially is very, very aware and sensitive to the fact that he, he, he's, he's afraid of others laughing at him. He's afraid of others making fun of him. He's afraid of what others will think of him. And it impacts, you know, what he wants to wear. Um, it, it impacts how he interacts in, in school, you know, afraid to say the wrong thing. And, and I, I, my, it heart, my heart breaks for him because I was the exact same way when I was a kid. I was terrified of what other kids might say, what other kids might think, how they might make fun of me, if I might look like a fool if I say the wrong thing. Um, kids are very, very aware of the voices around them that say, no, you're not enough, you're not worthy. And it's so sad. And, and I think, you know, uh, social media just makes, the ma they, makes this worse, I think, for a lot of kids, right? When they look at, at social media and they, and they compare their lives to other people's lives and they look at all the ways that they're not enough. But then, even as we grow up, we still hear the voices that say we're not enough. I mean, for some of us, we, we grew up in homes, that are extremely broken, where we experienced not just harsh criticism, but also abuse. And, and we, because of that, we live lives today where we have this voice that says, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not enough. And, and then there's, you know, we, a lot of us work in jobs, in situations where we're, extreme, there's extremely high pressure and, and our jobs or our bosses are saying, with just critically pointing out every way that you're not enough, you're not doing what you need to do, reminding us that we're not worthy. All of these voices accusing us, and if that wasn't enough, we have the voices in our own heads. The voice in our own heads that's constantly hammering away at us. You know, picking out every little thing that we've done wrong, all of our failures. You know, it's, it's so hard for us all to look in the mirror and not notice the things physically that we don't love about ourselves, but also just the things of our personality that we don't love about ourselves. And we have this voice in our head. We tell ourselves that we're not worthy. We accuse ourselves. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, the devil is, is really complicit in all of this. He, he loves to uh, amplify all of those voices in our lives, in our hearts, saying that we are not worthy. And then that, that question, I think, weighs on us. And then one, one last question that I want to point out is this, um, a question that says, you're really actually all alone, aren't you? Aren't you just alone? It can be easy for us to think that no one really sees us, no one really understands, no one really understands, um, no one is really with us. 
that in the end, all we have is ourselves to count on. Even if you have a great group of friends or a great family or a great church, all of those things are, are, are never perfect. They're never enough. And, uh, and it always leaves us, I think, at times wondering, you know, am I just really alone here? Am I just really alone? Um, your problems tell you that you're alone. Your failures tell you that you're alone. Your feeling of being small and insignificant in a world that is big make you feel alone. As you get older and you start to be confronted with the reality of, of mortality, that can possibly make you feel alone as well. Now, these are, these are some big questions that I think can plague us, that can weigh on us, that can overwhelm us as we try to make this, like, progress along this journey. And, uh, and, and I wanted to spend some real time, you know, fleshing them out because I think they are real and legitimate. But uh, here in this passage, Paul only brings these questions up in light of God's answers to these questions. And as we think about these questions, as, we, as we're confronted with these questions, Paul says, don't forget, God has some really good, helpful answers. And you need to focus on these answers. Verse 31, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Paul's point is simply this. God is bigger than any of those things that I mentioned that are against you, and the things that I didn't mention. God is stronger. God is more able. God is, God is more capable of taking care of you. He weighs more than any of those things, far more. An old pastor of mine used this illustration. You know those, you know those scales you know, that you can balance things on? And, and he's like, you know, think of all those things that you might have thought of that are against you. You know, for every one of those things, maybe take a, take a little uh, packing peanut for one of those things and put it on this one side of the scale, okay? So as many of those things as you want, just put another packing peanut, one of the styrofoam peanuts, just put it on there, put it on there. And, and, and you, know, you know, enough of those things, it starts to weigh it down just a slight bit. But then on the other side, take an anvil. Whoom! And what happens to all those peanuts? They go flying, Right? That is who God is in comparison to every single one of the things that we feel like are against us today. He is way bigger. He is way stronger. No matter what you might feel like is against you. If God is for you, who can be against you? That is good news. Verse 33 and 34, he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is it to condemn? And then he puts the answer right here in the middle. He says, it is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. This is one of the things that we've been talking about as we've gone through the book of Romans. God is the one who justifies us. In other words, he has declared that I am righteous. He has decided. It is settled. God has justified you. Through the work of Jesus Christ, he has decided that you are worthy. He has decided that you are deserving of his love. It's not up for debate. It's not a question mark. You are forgiven 
the issue is settled. This means that, that, that he has decided, um, this means that, that he has decided that, that uh, you are worthy. You are deserving of his love. You don't have to wait for anybody else to weigh in on the issue. You don't have to wait for anybody else to tell you whether you are worthy or not, to give you input about how significant you are, how valuable you are. No matter what a family member says, no matter what a bully says, no matter what your boss says, God says, you are justified. You are forgiven. You are worthy. You are enough. Rest in that. And then in verses 35 to 39, he exclaims, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He exclaims, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He exclaims, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, God is with you. He has set his love upon you. He has surrounded you with his love. He is near. He is present. And nothing, nothing, will separate you from him. Nothing will tear him away from you, will tear his love away from you. And now, now it's, 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 this is a promise about the future. He's saying nothing in the future will he be able to, to tear his love away from you. But that also implies the fact that right now you have his love. You have it now. You have it now. You have it forever. This is what it means to be a conqueror. This is what it means to conquer. To conquer doesn't mean that, that, you, that you, you know, defeat all of your problems and you have no problems. It means that in the midst of your problems that you have God's love and that it is certain that he is present. In the midst of your uncertainty that you have God's love and that that is certain. That is what it means to conquer whether it's uncertainty or loss or conflict, all of these things, if you know that you are loved by God and that he is present with you right now, then you are more than a conqueror. That's what he's saying to you. No matter how big and overwhelming your problems might feel. These are God's answers. And and we dare not just let these questions just linger in our hearts without reminding ourselves of God's answers. He is with us. He is bigger than anything that we could possibly face. He has decided that you are worthy of his love and nothing will tear him away from you. And his answers can be incredibly comforting and and encouraging, but how do we practically know that God's answers are the right answers? How do we know that? I mean, how do we know that we're not just, you know, that Paul didn't just write this stuff to make us feel better about life, to help us cope with life? How do we know? Well, I think he gives us proof that his answers are the right ones. He gives us proof. Uh, I, I was always um, good at math. Math was my, my best subject when I was growing up. I ended up majoring in math in college, um, if you didn't know that. And uh, one thing that I really loved about math, I, I hated taking tests in social studies or English because it always involved an essay. Essays are the worst. <laughs> Essays are the worst because you could, you know, you got the pressure of you're trying to write as much as you can, and you never quite know if what you write 
is the right answer, is the answer that the teacher really wants, you know? You never know. You're, you're left kind of guessing. But math, math, you know, you have an equation. And you have, you know, x plus 2 equals 5. And I can solve for x. And then if I get x equals 4, I can check my answer and prove whether it was right or wrong. I can plug, plug it back in. 4 plus 2 equals 5. No, it doesn't. I was wrong. I, I, so I got to do the problem again. Right? I can, I can plug it in no matter how complicated, no matter how, you know, how involved the equation is. You know, it can be way more complicated, way more mysterious than the x plus 2 equals 5. I can take my answer and plug it back in and make sure that I am right. Right? God has given us a way to prove that his answers are the right answers. And I think Paul makes reference to that here. In verse 32, um, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God has given us his son, Jesus. Jesus is the answer we can plug back into the equation to find out if God's answers are reliable or not. Jesus. He makes another reference to Jesus here, right? In verse 34. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He makes reference to Jesus' death. And then what else does he do? More than that, he was raised. He makes reference to the resurrection. Paul says, don't forget. I'm not just giving you theory here. Don't forget, Jesus was a real man. He really died. He really rose from the dead. We have real reasonable, logical reasons to believe that this is true, that Jesus actually walked the earth, that he died, and that he rose from the dead, that the tomb is empty. And because of that, we can know that everything that God tells us is reliable and true. We can know that God is with us. We can know that he has dealt with our sin and that we are forgiven and that we are loved. We can know that nothing will tear us away from him. That, that verse 32, one of my favorite verses in the, in the entire Bible, you know, God says, he, if, if God gave us his own son, that is, the, that is the most costly thing God could have possibly done for us. If God has done that for us, then all of this other stuff is completely insignificant. It's small potatoes. The biggest thing that I think I need in my life is tiny compared to the fact that God has already given us his son. That is how we know. That is the proof. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection. That is how we know that this is more than just helpful, you know, advice. A nice fairy tale that makes us feel better. Look at Jesus. What then shall we say to these things? That's how he starts his passage off, right? And, and he uses that, that uh, question to say, you know, he, he, Paul has been talking chapter 1 through 8. There's kind of debate about, you know, when he says, what shall we say to these things? Is he talking about the things he just said about how all things work together for good? Yeah, he's talking about that thing, those things. I think he's talking about chapters 1 through 8. What shall we say to these things? All the things that Paul has been explaining about the gospel, about how we've all turned away from God and yet God has given his son in order to live and to die for us, that we would be justified, that we would be forgiven, 
that we would be made new, and he's given us his spirit. What shall we say to these things? And so he says, logically, in light of everything that he has said, look at who God is and how good he is and how big his love is for you as you think about life, as you walk through life. And walk with confidence. But I think it's also legitimate for us to ask this question as we wake up each morning. And, And we're tempted to think about all of those questions that might be weighing on our hearts. We need to also finally ask this question. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these questions? We need to get in the habit of talking to ourselves and telling ourselves, God, 